So we're going to do something today that we've never done before. So normally, if I have a like a presentation with scriptures or slides or whatever, I don't always do that. But normally, if I do, I don't get it to Mike until like Saturday evening. Um, so he has to put it together like at the last minute for me. So I was on vacation this week, so I got ahead. So I had it done on Friday, so I sent it to him on Friday morning or something, Friday evening, I get a phone call. Uh, we're going camping this weekend. <laughs> but you got it to me before I left. Uh, divine intervention. So I will do it up and then I'll send it. Um, but he didn't bring the clicker. So Jackie's running it. Not me. <laughs> so if it's better or worse, apply appropriately. Let's, let's stand up. Let's stand up and pray real quick. Good to see everybody. Hope you're feeling good. Hope everybody's doing well. Close your eyes. I want you to imagine a small, tiny dot of light. And I want you to focus on that. Just a speck of light in your imagination and allow that in your mind to grow and become brighter and become bigger and bigger and bigger until it envelops you or it becomes a place that you can enter into, so that you literally enter into the light. And from that place, Lord, we thank you for your goodness and your grace. We ask you to open our eyes, ask you to help me, and bless our time together. Amen. You can be seated. Um, So I'm (laughs) going to talk this morning about the letter, how the letter kills But the Spirit gives life. So if we are mystics, if we are people who are supernatural, I mean anybody who's interested in spirituality, let's just put it that way, uh, what good is a spirituality that you cannot experience? What good is a spirituality that does you no good? (laughs) Here's what I mean by that. If it's just a pastime that you do, or worse, if it's toxic for you, if it leaves you feeling condemned, if it leaves you feeling ashamed, if it leaves you bound um, to obligations, uh, particularly to those in authority or to the group, um, if it's causing you to lose your sense of self-empowerment, lose your sense of self-worth, it's not really beneficial. On the flip side of that, you can have a spirituality that is very vital and alive, very empowering, that leaves you in a place that you feel like you can bring transformation to anything. Everybody just say with me, transform. Think about it, transform. (laughs) So what I want to talk to you about, and what I believe much of the gospel is about that we have missed, is the power to transform. Uh, The power to transform yourself. How many of you could use that in some area of your life? How many of you realize, the, if you haven't figured that out by now, your day is coming? <laughs> right? Uh, and then we can talk about even things like community transformation, family transformation, social transformation, whatever. But the point is, in order for something to be transformed, it has to get out of the form that it's in has to be able to move in a dimension that is able to act upon form with the power to change it. Nothing was ever transformed that was stuck in form. And so one of the things that the power of the Spirit allows you to do, and one of the things that the mystical journey and the spiritual journey allows you to do, is it allows you to escape the form that you've been in if you don't like it. See, one one of the things that you will discover is nothing outside of you is ever going to satisfy you long term. Everything outside of you, anything that you explore or try to find fulfillment and happiness and wholeness from, it will be a momentary anesthesia to take you away from the feelings that you don't want to feel. And once the anesthesia wears off, whatever it is, it could be television, it could be social media, it could be time with your friends, it could be, in worst case scenarios, alcohol or drugs or sexual addictions or any kind of, whatever kind of thing that's out there that you're looking for for fulfillment, you aren't going to find it. Eventually you'll figure that out. But then the other thing that you'll eventually figure out is that most of the mess that you're making is your making. (laughs) 
So that within you, here's the amazing thing. Within you, within you, is everything you've ever wanted, everything you've ever looked for, for satisfaction, is already inside you. It's part of you. But here's the flip side of that. All the pain and suffering that you're experiencing is also inside you. (laughs) So both the world of hell, if you will, and the world of heaven is the world that you're creating. And what happens is, is we get locked into formations. Think about what a formation is. We get locked into a formation that keeps us stuck in those patterns. So in order to change anything, you have to be able to get out of the formation. And that is what spirituality offers you the possibility of doing. That's actually the story. That's the, that's the metaphysical meaning of the story of the children of Israel who were in bondage in Egypt. They were stuck in a form. When they go through the Red Sea, they are transformed into the nation of Israel. But they had to leave one form by getting above it. Does make making sense to you? So why do we have such a problem doing this? Because of fundamentalism. Fundamentalism is the key problem. Or as I like to affectionately refer, refer to the fundamentalist, the fundamentalist. Let's give you a definition. A definition for fundamentalism is this. It's a form of religion, especially Islam or Protestant Christianity, that upholds belief, watch this, in strict literal interpretation of Scripture. Literal interpretation, strict literal interpretation of Scripture. That's a fundamentalist. So anyone who believes that, anyone who believes that you must hold, uphold belief in a strict literal interpretation of Scripture, you fit the dictionary definition of a fundamentalist. <laughs> Sorry, I'm just having a little bit of fun. I was there for a long time. Now here's the problem. Literalism addresses the world of form. Literalism is governed by the world of form. You can't get past the world of form. In order to transform or in order to change, you have to get outside of the world of form. So therefore, fundamentalism actually locks you into the inability to change anything. Now, what does it mean to take something literally? I'm glad you asked. I want to define terms because I want to make sure we're talking about the same things. Says taking words in their most usual, in their usual, most basic sense, watch this, without allegory or symbolism. So if it has allegory or symbolism, it is not literal. And it comes from, the word literal comes from the Latin word that means letter. Latin's an older language. Now, Paul says something interesting in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Let's look at this real quick. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 4 through 6, Such confidence we have through Christ before God, not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but our competence comes from God. Watch this. He has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant. Watch. Not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Now, Paul's talking about the literal interpretation of Scripture. (laughs) He's actually saying fundamentalism and a literal interpretation of Scripture kills. But there is something that transforms, but the Spirit gives life. And so here's the issue. Spirit is outside of form, right? That's the whole point of Spirit. Spirit can take form, but it exists outside of form. And you are a spirit being. Listen to me, guys. You are, you are, you are not just human. You are a spiritual being having a human experience, right? But you are meant to evolve and grow your soul on your own. And if you don't, guess what? You get to repeat. I'm going to say it again. I think one of the biggest lies that fundamentalism has told us, one of the reasons that we're so stuck is because we think that death somehow in heaven is going to be the magic cure that's going to fix all our ailments. And I'm going to tell you right now, I believe with all my heart that your soul will leave this life in the condition it's in when you leave. And you are either polishing your soul or your soul is becoming more corrupted. You are either ascending on a path of service to others 
or you are descending on a path of service to self. But either way, your trajectory is going to be upwards. And so what you leave undone in this life, you will, whatever the next life looks like, you will transition into another arena where you will have another opportunity to work out what you neglected to work out in this life. So therefore, it gives us encouragement and strength. That belief gives us encouragement and motivation and strength to move forward in our lives in the way that is going to best serve our highest good. It allows us to embrace the experiences that life sends us as opportunities for evolution and growth rather than problems. All right. I knew that would probably go over about like it did. Thank you. So if it's without, if if it's going to be literal, it's without metaphor or symbolism. Now, I want to challenge you. I want to invite you to see how much metaphor and symbol you use in your life every time you talk. Every time you talk. Try to go through a day and just be literal. So one of the great things about Josiah, Josiah, his brain is wired differently. He's not quite on the autism scale, but he could be. In this sense, a person who's very autistic cannot understand metaphor. And Josiah is only now learning how to do that. So the other day, my sister Jamie said some kind of snide remark to her husband. And Josiah looks at her and he says, that's that's sarcasm. I'm learning what sarcasm is. But I'll never forget the day that Josiah was so excited he's going to a baby shower. His mom was going to take him to this baby shower. And he's like jazzed about this baby shower. And I'm like, I don't get it. Like, this is no son of mine. Like, no, no son of mine was ever jazzed about going to a baby shower, right? Like, like when did they decide it was a good idea to start including men in those things to begin with? I'm just saying. Right? Yeah, a couple amens. A couple very quiet amens. He gets to, I mean, he can't wait. He's so excited. They walk into the baby shower and he's looking around, he's looking around. He starts throwing a fit. He was so disappointed because he was expecting it to rain babies. He thought he was going to see the most amazing sight that has never been seen by any that no human eyes have ever laid on before. The, the, the clouds are going to open up, the sky's going to open up, and babies are going to start pouring out of the sky. So you can see how much metaphor and symbol is a part of our talk. You can't even communicate without it. But somehow we have been boxed into and bullied into by power mongers and mind controlling police who think they speak for God, who tell you if you do not insist on a literal interpretation of the scripture, you are the heretic. (laughs) You are the one bringing death. No, the opposite is true. The opposite is true. It's the literal letter that kills. It is the spirit. And the spirit, because the spirit's beyond form, therefore it can only be talked about in the language of metaphor and symbol. Because it cannot be captured by literalism. So when you escape the letter, you immediately move into the potential possibility of the spirit that gives life. Oh, but you can't take the Bible literally. What if I showed you that the Bible literally, I mean, you can't take the Bible symbolically and metaphorically. What if I told you and could show you in the Old Testament and in the Gospels and in the writings of Paul that you are literally told to take it symbolically and metaphorically? Now you have a dilemma if you're a fundamentalist. Because to take a literal interpretation of that, you have to then say, okay, it's literally telling me to interpret it symbolically. But the moment you interpret it symbolically, you quit being a fundamentalist. So you're in a bit of a double bind there for all my friends on the internet. All right, so let's start with the Old Testament, all right? Can we do that? Psalm 78. This is in your Bible. Just look at somebody say, this is in your Bible. Listen to what he says here. Psalm 78, verse 1. My people 
Hear my teaching. Listen to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth with a parable. I will utter hidden things. Things from of old. Things from when? Okay, thank you. Things we have heard and known. Things our ancestors have told us. So it's handed down by oral tradition, right? We will not hide them from our descendants. We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, His power and wonders He has done. So this parable, this dark saying, is about things of old. It's handed down by oral tradition. And it's about the praiseworthy things that God's done. Yes? He decreed his statutes for Jacob. So now it's about Israel, specifically. And established the law in Israel, which he commanded our ancestors to teach their children. The word law there is the Hebrew word. You've heard me say this before. It's the Hebrew word Torah. Everybody say Torah. (laughs) It means literally the teaching. It doesn't mean law like you and I think about it. It means the teaching. And it's almost always used by Jews as a reference to the first five books of the Bible. Guys, the psalmist is saying right here, all that stuff that's passed down by oral tradition and has been written down in the first five books of the Bible is a parable and a hidden saying. If I stand up and say, I don't literally believe we came from two naked vegans in a garden talking to a snake. And I really don't believe the problem with humanity is they ate the wrong tree in the garden. I will be vilified by fundamentalists who are completely ignorant of the fact that all the way back to King David, the psalmist, the inspired writer of the Bible, said, don't take it literally. It's a parable. And here's what he says. If it's passed down as a parable and a dark saying, then it will touch the next generation. And they'll put their trust in the Lord. That the real power of it for transformation is not in the literal historical interpretation. The real power of it is in the symbol and the metaphor that it communicates because symbol and metaphor transforms time. It transforms space. I'm sorry, transcends time, transcends space, and has the power to speak to you about your life right now. In a way, literal history does not. What's a parable? A parable is a story used to teach a moral or spiritual lesson. The important thing is the moral or spiritual lesson, not whether or not it literally happened. In Hebrew, in the Hebrew language, something that is symbolic, the the word there means something that is symbolic or a metaphor. So in other words, he says, all that stuff that we've been telling and passing down by oral traditions and wrote down in the first five books of the Bible for Jacob is metaphor and parable. It's symbolic. Hmm. In other words, it's not what it means on the surface. In fact, you're going to find this out. To stick to the surface meaning is to miss what the Spirit is saying. You don't just get the historical, literal interpretation and the symbolic. If you understand it literally, you'll see this in a minute, very powerfully from the Gospel of John, if you understand it literally, you miss the entire message. You end up completely off-kilter and off-base and off-course and in error. That means the real Torah, the real teaching, is understood in metaphors and symbolic or hidden language. It's hidden actually beneath the literal interpretation. In fact, the literal interpretation is the veil that disguises the beauty underneath. Do I need to say that again? Okay, let's look in the Gospels. That's Old Testament. Everybody cool with that? I didn't write it. You don't like it. You can mark it out, tear it out, whatever you want to do, but just know. It's in there. Matthew 13, 34. Jesus spoke all these things to the crowd in parables. Watch this. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. He didn't give them anything that was literal. Because Jesus was not 
a fundamentalist. Oh, but see, this is so important to evangelical Christianity. You have to take the Bible literally. You have to, you have to believe it just like it says. You have to take it on the surface. And Jesus, he apparently didn't think like that. Because <laughs> he taught the multitudes and everything he taught them was a parable. And without a parable, he did not teach them. All right, let's look at, I'm going to look at the Gospel of John because this brings this out beautifully. I'm not going to keep you real long today. <laughs> I'm going to look at the Gospel of John. John... But let's look at the importance that John places on the teaching of Jesus, all right? John 8, 31, 32, very familiar verses to most of us. To the Jews who had believed in him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. What what did Paul say? Paul said, The letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. He goes on to say, that the ministry of the letter is the ministry of condemnation, but the ministry of the Spirit is the ministry of freedom. So if you hold on, so here's the promise of Jesus, guys. But where is this today? Where is this where people are, are, are holding on to the teachings of Jesus and finding real powerful freedom? Really finding the, the freedom to transcend their lives and their limitations and bring transformation. And Jesus tells the Jews, if you hold on to my teaching, that will be your reality. So his teaching is important, right? His word is important in King James. You know, if you if you hold on to my word, yes, come on, come on, some of you recovering fundies, help me out. We used to like really preach this stuff, right? Romans eight fifty one. He goes on. He says, "Most surely I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he shall never see death." That's pretty radical. In I don't have this up here, but in John 15, verse 7, he says, if you continue, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you'll ask whatever you want and it'll be done for you. (laughs) So we have to look at the words of Jesus. But let's look at the words of Jesus in the Gospel of John, because I don't know how we've missed it, but the Gospel of John is a slap in the face to fundamentalism. It is an absolute rebuke to fundamentalism, and it is to say, if you take, if you, if you take the scriptures literally, you miss the whole point. Remember, Jesus in John's Gospel is the Word made flesh. He's the message of God in flesh teaching us. And He teaches everything in parables. <laughs> Think about that. Alright, let's watch this. This is funny. John 3. Now there was a Pharisee, a, a man named Nicodemus who was a member of the Jewish ruling council, and he came to Jesus by night and said, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher who has come from God, for no one can perform the signs you do if God were not with him. And Jesus replied, Very truly I say unto you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Right? Watch what Nicodemus does. How can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time in the mother's womb to be born. What happened to Nicodemus? He took a literal interpretation of what Jesus was saying. Was Jesus talking about that? He totally missed it. Why? Because he insisted on taking it literally. He goes on in verse 10 and he says, You are the teacher of Israel, said Jesus, and yet you do not understand these things. Because see, the Israelites, the Middle Eastern culture, they understood that, that, that the best way to communicate truth was symbolically and through metaphor and through story, through exaggeration. But here's a guy who misses entirely the point because he clings to a literal interpretation of what was said. He can't see the inner beauty or the symbolism or get the power of it because he's stuck in the literal interpretation. Moving right along, let's go to John chapter 4. Verse 7, when a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. And the woman said to him, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. How is it that you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. And Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. She says, sir, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us this well and drank from it, as did also his sons and his livestock? See her literal interpretation of what he said? 
Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst again. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And she goes on in the next verse, I didn't get it up there, but she goes on in the next verse and says, where can I get this water <laughs> so that I won't have to come here and draw? She's, she's totally stuck in literalism. She thinks he's talking about literal water and she misses the whole point. See, what you don't get in the flow of John's gospel is that he's making this point over and over and over again. Why does he tell these stories? It's to make the point. But somehow I think we've missed it. Because let's go to the next one. And I'm only pulling a few out. John chapter 4, verses 31 through 34. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. (laughs) Then the disciples said to each other, Could someone have brought him McDonald's? (laughs) How'd they get that out here? So Jesus has to clarify again. My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. See how they wanted to take it literally and they missed the whole point? Let's go on to John chapter 6, verse 32. Jesus said to them, very truly, I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you bread from heaven, but it is my father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me and you still do not believe. Verse 51, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. The bread, This bread is my flesh, which I give for the life of the world. Then the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves and saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? They insist on taking it. Literally. Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in them. And then John 6.66, I think the numerology there is interesting. It says, from this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. Why? Because they thought he was speaking literally. They, yes, they thought he was talking about cannibalism. They're trying to figure out how is this all going to work? How is he going to do this? And it was offensive to them. And so they abandoned him because they took what he said literally. They could not understand the metaphor or the symbol or the spiritual meaning behind what he was trying to say. John belabors this point over and over and over and over as though he's saying, don't take, it's as though John himself is saying, don't take anything I'm writing literally. And if you do, you miss the light and the life and the power that's in it to give you everything that's been promised to you. And this is why people get saved, they come to Christ because they're promised living waters. Out of your innermost being will flow rivers of living water. They're promised abundant life. They're promised power. They're promised freedom. But they don't experience it because the only thing that can deliver the goods is the ministry of the Spirit over and against the ministry of the letter. So what do we do? We bring them into Bible studies and We argue about things like evolution. We argue about, we wrestle with things like, where did Cain get his wife? Oh, it was incest. Oh, I thought that was disgusting. Oh, but but wait, it was before the law. It was before the, I mean, really, where did Cain get his wife? Well, it was incestuous. Oh, that's disgusting. Well, yeah, but but it was before the genetics were corrupted. Oh, so the only reason we don't sleep with our siblings is because we have corrupted genetics? And then they want to drag you to a purity culture meeting. I'm just saying, when you get outside the box, you look at it, you can see how crazy the whole thing is. All right. Maybe I'm crazy. (sighs) 
We, you know, people can't, you know, I, I got news for you in the Bible. It never said Jonah was swallowed by a whale. That we, we had to translate it that because we had to make it fit. And that was the biggest fish we could come up with. It actually says he was swallowed by a fish. I mean, isn't it amazing that we will condemn other cultures' myths, yet believe our own? We'll condemn their myths because that's too far out. I mean, I just I can't believe that. Well, it's kind of hard to believe that Jonah lasted three days in the belly of a fish before he got vomited up. Onto the beach. But if I were to suggest, because some of you wrestling, I can feel it. You're wrestling with it right now. Well, what is he saying? That's not true. He's saying that's not true. Like somehow Jesus is going to fall off his throne if you don't believe Jonah got swallowed by a fish. But see, we lose the power to control you then. Because if we go beyond the literal into the symbolic meaning, because, see, the symbols will speak, it's like a diamond, it's going to reflect light differently to each person. And maybe that's the whole point. Maybe the whole point is, is that this stuff is to open you up to what's already inside of you. To help you discover what you already have. To help you get outside of the form that you have taken and realize that you are not this form. You are not this body. You are not your opinions. You are not what other people have told you you are. You are not what other people think you are. You don't have to follow what someone, you don't have to become what someone else has labeled you to be. You don't have to stay stuck in some box that somebody keeps trying to stuff you back into because you serve and meet their own needs. You can unfurl the wings of your soul and fly in the freedom and uniqueness and power of your own individual self and you can find individual expression even if it does not concur with the group consensus. That is freedom. That is liberty and that is empowerment. And I'm going to tell you something. That is the foundation principle at least of of this country that, that makes the United States unique and special. How you can be patriotic and be fundamentalist is beyond me. Because fundamentalism, by its very nature, categorizes people as us and them and eliminates the concept of equality. And the church has been the greatest perpetrator of that throughout the ages. But our document says, now granted, it was a misogynistic, male-dominated culture. Sorry, ladies, but maybe we've come a long way in 200 years. I don't know. But it says, all men were created equal. Oh, but we were also hypocrites when we wrote that because we were enslaving (laughs) people that weren't white. So maybe we should read it, all white men. (laughs) I'm poking fun at it. But the power of the idea, listen, listen to the power of the idea that everybody is created equal and has equal rights to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Why separation of church and state? Because we are not going to deprive people the the right to be a free thinker. We are not going to deprive people the right to their individual self. As far as I know, this is the first culture that was ever founded upon the honoring of the individual self over and against the group. It says, we're not, we're not going to form a society that is built and based on group conformity. We are going to build a society that is based on individual empowerment and liberty. And yet fundamentalism is the greatest thief. of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness for the individual. And we will tolerate it, and we will give our money to it, and we will cheer towards it. And you know what happens? You know what happens? You know why people gravitate towards groups? Because they feel powerless. If you lose your sense of individual power, I didn't say this. Carl Jung said this like a hundred years ago. If you lose your sense of individual power, 
because your life, in your life, you feel powerless. You will, you believe then that there is power in the world, but you don't have it. Watch this. You believe then there isn't power in, there is power, sorry, there is power in this world, but you don't have it. Therefore, you will look for it outside yourself. Therefore, people will come as embodiments who best for you symbolize the power that you yourself feel like you don't have. Are you tracking? And you will gravitate and groups will collect around that symbol of power in a cultish, almost fanatical type of way. Which is why Castro could be a popular figure in Cuba because by oppressing his people, he took away their individual power and then presented himself as the symbol of power to the nation, therefore garnering their allegiance. And if you don't think there are some strategies like that, I mean, I'm not saying it's all corrupt, but if you don't think that's not going on in the last two elections, the last two presidents... If you can't see that happening in our culture today. So really the hope for our survival as a nation. If we don't get back to this concept of individual freedom and empowerment. We're going to lose the soul of our nation. And that's the power of symbol. That's the power of metaphor because it speaks to my heart. It opens up vistas of possibilities. And it empowers me as an individual to say, I, 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 can, I can have my own expression without conforming to the group. See, here's, here's, the, here's the amazing thing. This is the most amazing thing. They will tell you, they will tell you, If you live according to your own value system, if you express yourself as an individual with your right to express yourself the way you want to, granted without infringing on the rights of others, that's the key, right? But that's really not that hard to do. (laughs) Especially if you feel empowered. People who, who perpetrate on others are people who feel powerless. There are people who demand other people to be something they want them to be because they don't feel like they can find what they're looking for inside themselves. When so, so here's what they'll tell you. If you become self-centered, and I'm using the term as finding the center within yourself. If you begin to take orders from your innermost being, from your inner person, so that you find harmonization in your life as a unique individual, society will go to hell. It'll be, what, what, what's that movie? Where they just, 24 hours, you can do whatever the hell you want. and there be The purge. It's going to be like the purge. We're going to remove laws. Think about the, 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 the thinking behind that movie. We're going to take away all laws. Nobody will be prosecuted. you got 24 hours to do what you want. And everybody's murdering and killing and raping and... Right? That's what they want you to believe. If, if people are just free to express themselves and find themselves and all that stuff, then we'll all just become a, a self-centered mess. But I'm going to tell you, I, I, I have experienced this, and I know this for a fact. When you give yourself permission to do you, the most amazing thing happens, you find the same grace and permission to allow other people to do them. It's absolutely the truth. And instead of being divided, and instead of being angry, all of a sudden, there is a flow of unity and cooperation and love and compassion. There's a psychologist that said, no one can have real compassion who does not have a deep trust in the goodness of humanity. I told you I'd get to Paul, right? So let's get to Paul. Galatians 4, 21 through 26, and we'll be done. Paul's writing to Jews. 
Paul's writing to fundamentalist Jews. Watch what he says. Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, that's the Jews, that's the Jews who want everybody else to think and live like them, do you not hear the law? For as it is, for it is written, he's quoting scripture, Abraham had two sons, one by a bondwoman, the other by a free woman. But he who was of the bondwoman was born according to the flesh, and he of the free woman through promise. Which things are, say it with me, symbolic. For these are the two covenants, the one from Mount Sinai, which gives birth to bondage, which is Hagar. For this Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the Jerusalem that now is and is in bondage with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free and the mother of us all. See, every time you move into the symbolic interpretation of Scripture, the metaphoric interpretation of Scripture, suddenly you're talking about freedom. When you stick with the letter and the literal interpretation, you're talking about bondage. But look what Paul says. Paul takes a story. He talks to the literalists. He talks to the fundamentalists. He talks to the Jews, the ones that know the teaching. The ones who have read Psalm 78 and know it's not supposed to be taken literally, in other words. They know it's not supposed to be taken literally. Literalism in the Old Testament is a Gentile heresy. It is a Gentile heresy. So he says, look, these things are, what? Symbolic. He d- Alright. What is symbolic? What is, what is the word symbol there? He's saying they're not literal, but they're an allegory. He's appearing to those under the law to hear the law as an allegory because they knew that the Torah was found in the allegory. That the real teaching was found there. Are you tracking with me? But we have subjected ourselves to fundamentalism in our Bible translations. Let me give you some examples. In the literal Greek, here's what Paul says. Here's what he says in the literal Greek. You ready for it? All these things are allegory or symbolic. That's what he says. Let's look at some of our translations. You ready for this? Amplified version. Now, what did Paul say? That's all he says. All these things are symbolic. Just say it with me. Just just humor me. Say it with me. All these things are symbolic. How many? All. All. Look at your Amplified Version. Now, these facts are about to be used by me as an allegory. They're telling you that's what Paul wrote. Now, these facts are about to be used by me as an allegory. Why would they feel the need to put that in there? Because they can't stand the fact that Paul just said it's all allegory. And they have to defend their position, so they simply rewrite it. The same fundamentalists who believe if you mess with it, because there's a verse in the book of Revelation, if you mess with the scriptures, you're going to be cursed. Same bunch that takes that literally, go and mess with the scriptures. Can you not see how messed up that is? Contemporary English version. All of this has another meaning as well. English revised version. I love this one. This true story makes a picture for us. Why do they feel the need to put that in there? Because they're so threatened that somebody might... I, I mean, guys, it, that, it's not translated that way. Why they're threatened by this, I have no idea. Because it's not translated that way in the King James or the New King James or any of those older translations. And we've missed it. We still say you have to take it literally. And if you don't, you're a heretic. But they're so afraid that you might not take it literally that they have to change that little phrase and say... This true story makes a picture for us. As though Paul had to qualify what he was going to say because he felt a need to defend the historicity of the text, which he did not. And I would submit to you, nor did he feel the need to defend it. (laughs) Because he's the one that said the letter kills. God's Word translation. I'm going to use these historical events... I'm going to use these historical events as an illustration 
the Living Bible. Now, this true story is an illustration of God's two ways of helping people. (laughs) To insist on a literal interpretation of Scripture is to honor the letter over the Spirit. It's the ministry of condemnation and death. To penetrate the symbolism of allegory is to understand and find life and peace and enter into the kingdom of God. I'm going to quit there with that. Interesting, isn't it? I'm just going to let this sink in. Now, here's the, the, the main point. Next time somebody tries to use Scripture to marginalize you, disqualify you, or put you in bondage, Remember this. And maybe more importantly, next time you go quoting scripture against the group that you hate, against the group that you want to marginalize, against the group that you want to change, because you somehow are threatened by their individual expression, even though they're putting no pressure on you to conform to be like them. Just remember, maybe you've fallen into the ditch of fun damn mentalism. And you've missed the entire point of the gospel. We ought not be using our religious beliefs and dogmatisms to divide and hate. We just shouldn't. We can. I mean, we can keep perpetuating the same stuff. Or we can wake up and say, you know what, maybe it's time for us to get on with the job of our own personal evolution and our collective evolution as a species. Oh, my God, he's talking about evolution. Yeah, because I don't think we came from two naked vegans in a garden who talked to a snake and ate at the wrong tree. I just don't believe that. I don't believe that story historically or literally. If you want to, (laughs) knock yourself out. I know this is a struggle for some of you. I'm gonna, I need to qualify this because this is a struggle because this, this teaching more than any other has caused people to struggle. Oh my God, Aaron's not a Christian. He's abandoned the faith. What's he teaching us now? Have you honestly and with integrity yourself wrestled with the harder portions of the Bible and tried to reconcile that with your own human experience your own mental and emotional well-being, and the teachings of Christ. Because I would venture to say you probably haven't dove into those texts much or thought about their implications. If you believe that God literally ordered the extermination of every male child, little boys, and every woman except those that had not been with a man, Completely exterminate them because God is with us and not with them. Oh, and then take the virgins, which, remember, women were sold usually about 11, 12 years old to their husbands. So to be a virgin is to be 10, 8, 6. Take all the virgin girls and, hey, boys, that's part of the bounty. That's part of the spoils of war. You believe God did that? Because if you insist on a literal interpretation, you have to say yes. Which then gives you license to stand up today and it get, why am I getting off on this stuff? I just need to stop. Why do the Palestinians hate us? Do you know why? 
Because the UK occupied the land after World War II as part of the colonization. And the Jewish people, rightfully so, who were European Jews, they can't trace their lineage back to Abraham. They can't send it to Ancestry.com and they say, oh, well, let's get in the vault here. Oh, yeah, here's Abraham's DNA. Let's say, oh, let's compare it. It was a faith, not a lineage. And they needed some place to go. And you know what? Your country wouldn't open their borders to them. And they wanted to get out of Europe. It's a little bit more complicated than this because it has more of a history. But here's the bottom line. So the West, the United States, Great Britain, used military power to go in and throw Palestinian, who mostly were Orthodox Christians, out of their homes, dispossess them of their property, and throw them in the desert and tell them you can't come back for one thing. And then took their European brothers and sisters and planted communities Right there, guess what? Using scripture, you'll inhabit houses you did not build. You'll drink from wells that you did not dig. You will reap where you have not sown. And God is fulfilling prophecy by bringing Israel back as a nation in 1948. This was God's doing. And so any U.S. representative that tries to bring any kind of justice, real justice to that situation, and we're going against Israel. Here come the fundies, fundamentalists. We're going against Israel. We're going to be cursed of God. Blah, 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 blah. Was used to justify killing Native Americans. Do you realize it was the Christian church that found justification for the Holocaust? Those Christ rejectors, they're under a curse. Is that what we want to leave the next generation? I mean, some of you are fighting so hard for that literal interpretation. Let me tell you what that literal interpretation has done to the world. I mean, homosexual, it's amazing to me. It's almost like God is up to something. I mean, one might as well go all in. I'm amazed how many homosexual children are born to fundamentalist parents. I think it's so we can evolve because what the Bible's talking about homosexuality and what we have today are completely different things. And you know how many kids wrestle with, I'm going to hell. God's going to condemn me. Oh my God. And you know how many end up committing suicide? And I wish, I I wish, I wish it was just as easy as admit it and quit it. Talk to very committed fundamentalist Christian believers who had a same-sex sexual orientation. And in early in life, they thought they could pray the gay away. Thought if they got filled with the Holy Spirit, if they just went for deliverance, if they just believed the truth, if they just confessed the word, if they just do this and do this and do this and do this... And I know I'm going longer than I wanted to, but then God will somehow give them the magic pill only to find out decades later, decades later, that it didn't work. And they're frustrated and they're angry and they haven't enjoyed their life. But that's the fruit of the spirit. (laughs) It's so insane. But see, we need to find somebody to scapegoat because we really don't feel safe. That's why 9-11, when they crashed planes into our building, you had fundamentalist ministers standing up 
saying this is a judgment. God has lifted his hand of protection. See, we want to believe in this false hand of protection. And then we think if there's a problem in our life, there's somebody else to blame. And if we could just get somebody else to change, then we'd be okay because we don't feel power. We don't feel economic power, so we'll find somebody in our culture to blame. They're the reason that we're economically not empowered. We don't feel safe in our streets because kids are shooting kids and and all this stuff is going on, so we've got to find somebody to blame. And it's always somebody out there that just isn't doing right, that just needs to do better. And it can take any form. You know how the Holocaust happened? Because they were able somehow to scapegoat the Jews for Germany's social pain. So the truth is, when we lose our power, we will look for any group we can find to project as the scapegoat. And if they'll just do right, if we can punish them, if we can blame them, then everything will be better for us. And so you have fundamentalist ministers, oh my God, the world has changed. The world changed on 9-11. We've got to find somebody to blame. I know. It's everybody that's had an abortion. I know. It's everybody that's promoting same-sex relationships. I know. It's because we're not supporting Israel because God has given them the land. And they got a right to kill whoever tries to take it from them and use any kind of weapon necessary to do it because that's God's will. All right. I'll get off my social soapbox. Somebody's got to start talking about it. Somebody's got to tell it. Might as well be me. (laughs) You get it? It can be the most freeing thing in the world because it can empower you to live your life your way. It can be the scariest thing in the world because you will experience group persecution. But you have to make a choice. Let me, I'll close with this, and I know I'm rambling a lot. But if you're going to make a mistake, please, please, and especially young people that are here, if you're going to make a mistake, please make your mistakes. Make your mistakes. And here's what I mean by that. Don't be so afraid to go for it. Don't be so afraid of not fitting in that you surrender your personal integrity, ambition, or unique expression for some for somebody else. Because what will happen, taking somebody else's advice instead of doing what's real in your heart. If you do what's real in your heart and you go out and totally screw it up, guess what? You're going to learn the lesson that your soul needed to learn. But if you just don't do what's in your heart because someone else told you not to, you're going to make their mistake and you're not going to live. You're not going to learn your lessons. You're going to learn theirs. You're not going to live your life. You're going to end up living a secondhand life. You're going to end up living a hand-me-down life with a hand-me-down self because all you are is what everybody else told you you were supposed to be. And you didn't have the courage to stand up. You didn't feel empowered enough to stand up for yourself and break from the group. And you will not grow that way. And you will not be satisfied that way. And you will never get to the place that God or even your soul agreed to get to when you came into this experience. So it's okay to make mistakes. It's okay to mess up. Just make sure they're yours. Just make sure it's your life and your lessons that are being learned. And I think if we could all give each other the freedom to do that, the world would be a much happier, much better place. Let's stand up. Guys, I know it's painful to talk about this stuff, but we have to, we have to look at what we're doing as a society in the name of Jesus. <laughs> what, what, what our nations are perpetrating around the world under a guise of Christian religion that is not Christian at all. That completely misses the point of the teachings of Jesus of Nazareth. Open up your hearts, if you would, with me. So, Heavenly Father, I thank you for your goodness and your grace. I thank you for your healing presence. Lord, I ask right now that you will move by your power and by your presence over everyone's heart and mind to break 
strongholds off of the mind, bondages off of the heart, and that you will cause a great wave of true and genuine individual empowerment and liberty to come across this nation. Lord, I pray every person be filled with confidence and boldness in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Have a great afternoon. (laughs) Sorry, I didn't mean to make it so heavy. It just kind of came out that way. Hopefully it had substance.